Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Eat Show. Our guest this time is Kathleen Marie Kelly, uh, perhaps better known as Kate Kelly. Uh, Kate is a Mormon feminist, a human rights lawyer. Uh, she's a former member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and she started an organization called Ordain Women. Uh, she started the movement in March of 2013, uh, and... Uh, by June of 2014, she had been excommunicated from the LDS Church for her efforts. Uh, Kate Kelly's an interesting, interesting person. She's no longer with uh, Ordain Utah Women or Ordain Women. Uh, she's now working with Planned Parenthood, but she sees that as a continuation of her mission in life, I think. Uh, Kate is a, a very intelligent guest, and, and she's a very... Um, uh, I, if you'll permit me, a very sweet guest. I expected her maybe to be a little more confrontational or a little harder-edged, but she's a very charming, very sweet uh, person, uh, and I think you'll enjoy this uh, conversation with Kate Kelly. Uh, now, um, I want to thank the club at 50 West uh, for providing food and a nice place to record, uh, 50 West Broadway in downtown Salt Lake City, and I uh, also want to thank Dylan Allred for producing the show. Now, remember, if you like the Let's Go Eat show, please let us know. Uh, go to uh, iTunes and uh, rate us. Go to uh, Stitcher. Uh, uh, tell, talk about it and share the broadcast uh, or the uh, recording with your social media. Um, you know, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, tweet and all of that stuff. Use all of that, will you? All right. Thanks. Now, without further ado, here she is, Kate Kelly. Catherine Marie Kelly. Cathal Cath Kathleen. Kathleen Marie Kelly. Mm -hmm. That's about as Irish as it could be. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, and so you are really, really Irish? Um, Irish and Norwegian. Who's Irish in your, your dad? Uh, my, well, my dad's side. Mm -hmm. um, actually, both of his parents, his dad is Irish and Norwegian. His grandmother, or his mother and his grandparents uh, are Norwegian. His mom didn't speak English until she was seven. Really? She only spoke Norwegian. So, you, so little, little uh, Kath, Kathleen, uh, Marie Kelly, Kate, uh, growing up in Hood River, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And was there was there any of the Irish, did, were there the Irish stories or any of that kind of stuff? Uh, I mean, it's just such an Irish sounding name. I know, it really is. Um, I I get like the accidental emails from people, and they're always from Irish women. <laughs> <laughs> so blah blah blah. Are we going to meet down on Dublin Street? And I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm in the U.S. I just got this. Got in early on the Gmail game. Apparently, wrong, Kathleen um, Kelly. <laughs> I know. So um, you now everybody knows your email address. Yeah. Oh, that's, it. A, that's all right. Don't email me. Anyone? Stop. <laughs> uh, you you grew grew up in a in a Mormon household, but it said I was reading your Wikipedia bio. Mm -hmm. Your I uh, wish I knew how to edit Wikipedia. <laughs> uh, you I don't think it's that hard. I, know. I, I mean, I, I haven't need, done it. I need to get on that. Are there inaccuracies in there? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like some of the information is kind of random. Mm. But some of the information about you. It also says religion excommunicated, which I feel like it's not accurate. What what is accurate? <laughs> um, I would say religion none. Zero. Yeah. 
Uh, so you grow up, your parents are converts to the LDS church, first gen, so they were first generation, mm-hmm. and I, I read your dad was a bishop. And Yep, bishop, uh, mm-hmm. he was in the state high council, he was a branch president, uh, he was a branch president several different times for several different con- congregations, mm-hmm. um, because we lived in Oregon, um, and so, yeah, he did a lot of jobs. Yeah, dev- so a devout, a devout family. Yes. Brothers and sure. sisters? Uh, I'm one of five. Ah. Yeah. Now, um, so, but when, so when you went through all of this uh, turmoil and uh, was when you were excommunicated from the LDS church, did why, where were your parents with all of that? So my parents supported the movement. Um, they both had profiles on ordainwomen.org. They, but they were also very orthodox believing Mormons mm-hmm. uh, and very active in the Mormon church. Uh, but I think in the end, so uh, they were also punished. So their temple recommends were taken away. They were released from their callings. They were threatened by their leaders. They were told uh, not to associate with me. And Their own daughter. Their own daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said that the leader said, and I quote, you can, you're still allowed to continue to love your daughter. Um, and so, How nice of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And my mother uh, said, you know, the fact that you think you have to tell me that reveals mm-hmm. who you are yeah. <laughs> and what this institution is. The fact that you think I might not love my daughter um, because of a movement she started or because she started telling the truth uh, is very alarming. Did, they, did your parents remain in the LDS church? No. Uh, so really? my mom has not been back um, since the day that I got excommunicated. So she's never returned, um, which is actually a really big deal. Um, my, they live in Provo, Utah, which is you know over ninety percent mm-hmm. Mormon. They live in a very very Mormon neighborhood. There's only one literal house in the neighborhood that's not Mormon. Mm. Um, when did they When did they move to Utah? Uh, they moved to Utah in two thousand two. Why did they? Year. Why did they come here? Um, my dad came to work at BYU. Oh, so so let's let's go back and you're growing up uh, in the Mormon household in uh, Hood Hood River, mm-hmm. Hood River, Oregon, bucolic place, I assume. Extremely so. Yeah. yeah, it's at the bend of a river, the Columbia River, at the foot of Mount Hood. Uh, this majestic mountain mm-hmm. in Oregon, right outside of Portland. Beautiful place. Beautiful. Do you wish you were still there sometimes? I love Oregon. It's a great place. Um, it's a very small town, so from a, it's a tiny, tiny town, um, very rural, uh, sort of orchards, lots of um, pear and apple orchards there. Mm-hmm. So it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. And one of my sisters still lives in Portland. Yeah. So sometimes I miss it. So, so you, uh, all your, you and all your siblings, you go, you go to Sunday school every week, and you mm-hmm. go to church, and you have Bible stories at home, and mm-hmm. you fast and testimony and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Yep. Family um, home evening. Yeah. Oh, yeah. V- mm-hmm. Visiting teachers. Mm-hmm. The whole, just everything. Mm-hmm. Um, did, when did you, uh, as a child, did you start having any thoughts about the church? or I mean, um, when did that happen? Well, because my parents were converts to the church, uh, and my mom was an attorney, and they did equally shared parenting, and, you know, my dad and mom shared all of the household tax 
equally. Mm-hmm. And so I have this very like egalitarian model in my home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it wasn't really until, and also I'm from a small town in Oregon where very few people are Mormon. I didn't have any Mormon friends. I didn't associate with primarily Mormons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't until I would say college, I, I went to Brigham Young University mm-hmm. at the Lord's University. Mm-hmm. It um, is. <laughs> And so it wasn't until college when I realized the gender policing that happens in Mormonism. And then when I realized how stark the gender rules are and how strictly they're enforced. Because my parents were like, you know, my dad did the laundry. My mom worked full time as Mm -hmm. an attorney, as a prosecutor. Um, And so I just didn't. I didn't grow up thinking that women had specific roles. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was no big Mormon community there to reinforce that, really. So. I mean, we had a ward, but it was a small ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like a little more rough and scrabble outside of Utah. More, Utah Mormons are different than any other Mormons. Yeah. You come to church, oh. you're smoking, it's fine. We need people in the pews. Mm-hmm. Just do it outside in the parking lot. You know? Yeah. It's not a big deal. It's yeah. much more of a wider tent. Mm-hmm. So, so you come to BYU. Must have been kind of a culture shock for it you. Was. Mm-hmm. Did, did you come uh, to? Um, did you come knowing that you were going to study to be a lawyer like your mother? Uh-huh. Um, I always wanted. To, when I was three years old, I said I was going to either be a lawyer, um, or I was either going to be a judge or a waitress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well. So I did not go the food service route. Um, I decided. I always knew that I wanted to be a lawyer because my mom was a lawyer. And so, yeah, I came to BYU. I did uh, political science, knowing that I was going to apply to law school. Um, But it became more and more clear to me as I proceeded through my undergraduate education that that was unacceptable. What? What? How was that unacceptable? Uh, being a working mother is unacceptable. Work, getting a higher degree that you don't need is unacceptable. Uh, working outside the home is unacceptable. To whom? Mormons. Okay. And the church. So I did a... Um, at BYU, there's a class called Teachings of the Living Prophets, where you study things that, like... Uh, people in modern times have said mm-hmm. and you have to pick a topic and I chose um, women working outside the home and I so I studied all, every talk about it and all these things and basically it's 100% do not do it um, it's only reserved for extreme circumstances it's the least uh, you know valuable or uh, uh, choosable option you should mm-hmm. not choose it unless you absolutely have to um, so it was very clear that the leaders of the church prefer in today in 2016 that women not work outside the home. Um, how did you uh, How did you manage to stay at BYU? I actually left BYU. It's so funny because you didn't finish there. I did. You mm-hmm. did finish. There. Yeah, I did. Um, I had a great experience because I had grown up Mormon in a place without Mormons. And so I was always the odd one out. I was always the one saying, well, this is what I believe. Um, and so when I went to BYU, I was like, 
it's Mecca. It's filled mm-hmm. with all like young, enthusiastic Mormon kids. And I wasn't, I was not the odd one out. I was among a sea of my peers. Mm-hmm. So I actually loved BYU. I also feel like there are a lot of very terrible things about BYU. And I understand why a lot of people don't get along well there. But uh, they really invest in undergraduate education because they don't have a lot of graduate programs. So they invest in undergraduate research. They really uh, invest in their students. I did lots of different things. I did a study abroad in London. I went to Thailand. I hmm. did a summer in D.C. I did. I had lots of opportunities. Were you, were you an overachiever? Um, so I've been called a chronic go-getter. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I feel like, but that's everyone at BYU or most students. Yeah. Um, and so it's just these like young, enthusiastic go-getters who don't drink and don't smoke. Mm. And we uh, all have work. Let no one shirk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's in a way it's a very unique, like, uh, sheltered environment, mm-hmm. but it's also really fun. When... You, you didn't go to law school there though, did you? No, no. Heavens no. <laughs> uh, uh, let me say a peripheral question and then maybe we'll take a break and you can eat your oh, sandwich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a peripheral question about all of this. I've been, um, you know, we've all been watching all of this stuff with the BYU Honor Code and uh, rape cases on the campus and, mm-hmm. um, uh, and and other issues having to do with the Honor Code. And I always wondered, um, is it would it ever be possible for the law school to be... Uh, have their accreditation take away by the bar? By oh, the- absolutely. In fact, um, there's a group called Free BYU, um, led up by a man um, named Brad Levin, and he is has filed a case against uh, Brigham Young University Law School before the American Bar Association, mm-hmm. and their accreditation is currently, as I understand it, being investigated. Mm. Primarily, the claim, um, the case is on religious freedom grounds, because people can convert from another religion to Mormonism. Right. So if you're a Hindu or if you're mm-hmm. an evangelical Christian and you go to BYU and then you listen to the missionaries and decide to convert to Mormonism, fine, great, party. Right. If you convert from Mormonism you, to anything else, if you become a Muslim or if you become a Buddhist or if you leave Mormonism and become agnostic or while atheist. While enrolled. In- while enrolled, you are... Uh, punished and kicked out of the way. No matter what your grades are or anything. No, no, no. It doesn't, doesn't have anything matter. to do with your academic success. Mm-hmm. Um, it's purely based on, because you can't get an ecclesiastical endorsement, which is required for a continued uh, study. And so you are kicked out of BYU for not being Mormon anymore. And so they, I mean, the, the contrast is pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so essentially it's a freedom of religion claim against the school that they do not uh, permit students to participate or practice in religion as their conscience dictates. Yeah, I would think the ABA would not care for that. And if, if they said we're not going to accredit you as a law school, there would be no law school. Uh, or they'd have to change their policy. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea how they're going to respond. But the school takes that, obviously, very seriously. Um, and so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm very interested. I love the fact um, because Mormons, uh, there are very few um, accountability mechanisms for a religious tradition. You know, they don't even they don't have to comply with the Americans for, with uh, Disabilities Act. They don't have to comply right. with discrimination laws. They don't have to comply with all these different things. Yeah, the, even the, the piece of legislation that was crafted here in the Utah State Legislature about 
you know, you can't fire people based on their religion or their race or their uh, sexual mm-hmm. preference, mm-hmm. Uh, except, except if it's BYU housing. Except. And then you can do all of that if you so want. So there's exemptions for almost everything else, and there's very little accountability. But there are certain things with a, uh, an academic institution you have to get accredited or you have to get federal funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with the Title IX, you know, there is an accountability mechanism, and it's one of the only ways to hold the church accountable. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's great. I hope they do lose their accreditation because BYU Law School is really problematic. They have a really hard time keeping a hold of female faculty members. Almost all their female faculty members have quit in recent years. Mm. They cycle through them very quickly. They don't pay them the same. They don't treat them well. Mm. Um, and so it's all very difficult for them to hold on to yeah. women yeah. because they're attorneys. And yeah. they're like, uh, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with people eating okay. during these interviews because it is the Let's Go Eat show. Right. It's fine. It's You're all right. I to took eat. a Xanax before I came. <laughs> I'll, I'll get over it. I'll be able to move on with my life. Uh, we're having uh, a lunch here with Kate Kelly, uh, the founder of uh, Ordain Utah Women. Uh, was Ordain Women. Ordain Women. Mm-hmm. Not Utah all women. women. We care women. about all women. We do. Uh, ordained women and uh, was uh, on the board of directors. The, the organization still exists, uh, but you are no longer directly associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. They continue to this day. Um, there's a board of directors, um, lots of volunteers. They're doing actions. They keep um, soliciting profiles on ordainedwomen.org. I am... Uh, in a much more quiet and back channel advisory role. There's a, we, there's also a thing called the advisory board, um, but I'm not involved in the day-to-day decision-making at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Kate Kelly at BYU, uh, she's studying so, uh, political science, going to go to law school. Where, where did you go to law school again? American University, Washington College of Law, the first school in the world founded by and for women. By and for who founded it? Uh, two suffragettes, uh, Elizabeth Spencer Mussey and Emma Gillette, and they were uh, not permitted to go to other law schools in the region, including George Washington and Georgetown. This is in Virginia. The, mm-hmm. It's in D.C. They mm-hmm. didn't uh, allow women to go, and so they created their own law school for women. When? Uh, when? In the 1800s, 1890s, I think. When, when, when was the first... Anybody know when the first female lawyer in this country was? Yes. Um, I can't remember her name, but uh, the first female lawyer studied under her husband because it was a different process then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then her husband died, and so she became a practicing attorney. Took his practice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. And actually, H- Howard University, which is the H, um, historically black uh, right. at college yeah, yeah. in D.C., they did permit women. So one of the women who started my school got her JD at Howard. So uh, go off you go to uh, this this uh, law school, mm-hmm. uh, knowing you're going to be uh, you, you work in human. You're a human rights attorney mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what you focused on and wanted to do. What I'm curious, what does a human rights attorney really do? I mean, you're not mm-hmm. spending a lot of time in in court as a general rule, right? Well. It depends on what kind of attorney you are. Human rights, a lot of people get it confused with civil rights um, and say that I'm a civil rights attorney. Um, so civil rights are things like voting rights, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Human rights are international treaties that are brokered between countries and um, governed by international bodies. So one example is the United Nations Committee Against Torture. So you would take a case on behalf of torture victims before the United Nations Committee Against Torture. Another place that I've worked is the the Inter-American Court of Human Rights, um, which is in San Jose, Costa Rica. So any... Uh, country who has signed that particular treaty uh, would take a case. People in that country could take a case against the country. So it would be against Panama or against Guatemala or against the United States. Um, and then, so you'd take that case against, uh, based on human rights abuses perpetrated uh, by the government. Did you uh, uh, start practicing once you got your JD? Mm-hmm. Um, so went to a firm. I went to a nonprofit um, called um, the Robert F. Kennedy Center for Human Rights, mm-hmm. and so we uh, litigated. Like I was saying, we litigated cases before the Inter-American Court on Human Rights, um, the African Commission on Human and People's Rights, which is in Banjul, um, the Gambia, and so we would take cases on behalf of folks um, before these international human rights bodies. And so that's what I did. Did you? Was it all that you hoped it would be? That line of work. I. It's super interesting. And I loved it. Um, my primary passion has always been to advocate for women mm-hmm. um, on behalf of myself and other women. And so I got a lot of opportunities to do that. I think it was part of that work that inspired me to start Ordain Women because I was doing all this work in Western Sahara and the Dominican Republic and all these different places all around the world. And then I realized, you know, w- I'm, I'm helping empower through legal means all these different people and women all around the world. What am I doing for my most intimate community? In a way, I felt a little bit like a hypocrite because I was saying, you know, women's rights, human rights, all these different things. And then I was fundamentally oppressed in my most uh, active and intimate community. You know, I was uh, not permitted to be a leader in any level of the church. I was not permitted to... Uh, have any control over finances. I didn't have the fundamental thing that allowed me to have any sort of power in the institutional structure of my church. Not uh, this is not uncommon, or not this is not. Uh, I, I mean, it's not uncommon in other religions. Mm-hmm. This is this is very this is a very common thing in religion. Uh-huh. The w- women take a subordinate role historically, traditionally. In, in religion, and and probably other every other aspect of society. Yes. Um, uh, people always say to me, "Well, why don't you just leave?" Um, and I'm like, "Okay, well, where am I going to go where patriarchy doesn't exist? Yeah. Like, take me to that magical island, and I will go there, and I will live there happily." Unfortunately, that magical island does not exist, and patriarchy is everywhere. So. Yet there's a unique brand of patriarchy in Mormonism. It's like a literal patriarchy. Yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, it's called the patriarchal order, very explicit. Uh, and maybe other forms of societal uh, oppression of women are more subtle. But uh, there isn't a place in anywhere in the world where patriarchy doesn't exist. And so I could leave Mormonism. But I feel like it's the place where my voice is most needed and most is the language in that I'm most fluent in. And so it makes sense that I spend energy and effort to reform that system. Did you, uh, as as um, 
and I don't know exactly when Utah women, uh, uh, excuse me, ordained women mm-hmm. uh, came about. Why, uh, did you just dream this up in your basement or what? Um, I was in an apartment, so I didn't have a basement, but I... <laughs> in Virginia? <laughs> in Virginia. Um, essentially what happened is the election of Mitt Romney, the election cycle where he was candidate. Uh. A lot of people were just like obsessed with Mormonism, like Mormonism this, Mormonism that, like just every news story, every channel was covering Mormonism. The Broadway musical. The there was a Book musical called the Book of Mormon musical. Like there's an obsession with Mormons in popular culture and in media. Um, but no one is talking about the fundamental exclusion of women from all leadership roles in part because it's common, mm-hmm. you know, Catholicism excludes women, Islam excludes women, like all major faith traditions subordinate women. And so it didn't have a, as stark a contrast as it should. Uh, but, and so I said, you know, no one is talking about this. Like they're doing stories on like jello salad culture in Utah, mm-hmm. but they're not doing any stories on the fact that 50% of the population is fundamentally oppressed in the institution that Mitt Romney belongs to. And so I felt like that was relevant and was very disappointed that no one was bringing up the conversation in a substantive way. Also, during law school, I participated in the National Lawyers Guild and a lot of other radical attorney associations and direct actions. And I, you know, protest um, Guantanamo at the White House in an orange jumpsuit and did all these other things and learned about direct action um, and how to be an activist. And then I decided, like, okay, somebody has got to do something about this. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's me. Like, if no one else and, is and where, where do did, it. And where, where did you make that voice first heard? So I called, I just started calling people like old school, like dialing up folks who had heard of, who'd written things, uh, friends from BYU. I had a pretty large group of activist friends at BYU. And I thought, okay, I know these 20 activists from BYU. There must be some of those at every year. So I'll just find them all. Um, and it turns out our experience was very unique. <laughs> I knew them all already. Um, and so I started reaching out to other folks and saying like, we got to do something about this. We got to do something about this. Let's do a direct action. My original idea was to do a banner drop in general conference. Um, so drop a banner off the second balcony that says ordain women. Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought it was a great idea. Uh, as more, more and more people joined, they're like, we can't do that. Um, no, none of these people had been activists. Like these are like housewives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, academics and people who had not been involved in direct action in other ways. Mm -hmm. There's no social justice culture in Mormonism. It's not like Catholicism where there's like liberation theology and activist nuns and Mm -hmm. all these different things. Jesuit uh, protesters. No, no, there's nothing like that in Mormonism. In fact, BYU prides itself as one of the only schools that had no protests during the Vietnam War. (laughs) So, (laughs) wonderful feather Mm -hmm. in their cap. Um, So... Uh, there isn't a culture of that in Mormonism. It's starting now um, and it's growing, but we're way behind every other faith tradition and we're younger. So that makes sense. Um, and so I, I was like, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And everyone else is just like scared out of their minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> were you doing this planning here or in Virginia? Um, so I was back East, um, but we had conference calls. We'd have conference calls with like 20 people in like seven mm-hmm. different time zones. So it started out, it started growing and more mm-hmm. and more people, um, were joining on. 
And then we did the website. We did the website um, because we knew that the church would try to paint us as outsiders. And we wanted to proactively control that narrative and say, like, we are Mormon. That's why this is important. And the website is still there. And it's what? Ordainwomen.org. Okay. Yeah. So when's the first time publicly? So we had an in-person meeting the first time, April 6, 2013. Um, it's a significant date in Mormonism for a lot of reasons. Um, Joseph Smith's birthday? Jesus. Jesus' was, birthday. Jesus, That's right. Jesus Christ was born on April 6th. Um, According to Mormon theology. Yes. Um, and so... Uh, Wait, what? Yeah. 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 April 6th. Yeah. Sorry, Dylan. I knew it was wrong. All this time you thought it was Christmas. Yeah, no. Um, then I didn't get any and, and the presents of, last month from you. And the gar- <laughs> Garden of Eden was in Jackson, Missouri. I yes. knew that from the musical. Yes. Okay. Um, so uh, it was It was also um, the day it happened to fall on conference, general conference. Mm-hmm. So we did it during the men's priesthood meeting. Um, the priesthood meeting, which is for men because yeah. only men can get the priesthood. So usually what happens during that time is like there's like a ladies night, like women go to like Deseret Book or whatever um, mm-hmm. and like, I don't even know, make crafts. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> we decided to do a different ladies night um, where we talked about why we thought women should get the priesthood. And so that was the first time like a lot of us had met in person. Um, a lot of our organizing had been online over the phone. So we all kind of met up and uh, it was a little tense because no one there were reporters there where were you uh, at the university of utah um so we met at the university of utah everyone was a little nervous um but yeah that was the beginning uh, and that's where we started how how did reporters <clears throat> how did reporters find out we i think we sent out a press well, release have to tell them yeah we're 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 a well-oiled machine oh so you're so okay so i thought you were just meeting to like Oh hi! What should no, I do? No, no. So this we was like had a, been meeting for months, and on, this was like calls. our public public launch. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. And it and it got, got started going pretty pretty fast. Yes, right from that moment. It's, so we launched the website almost out of control. Fast. It I was out of control. I thought, okay, at the maximum, this is going to be like me, my twenty friends, some of my family members, and like a few other people I can rope in. Um, but it grew exponentially faster than that. Um, it was like an idea who you can't know that it's time has come until you start talking about it. And then it's all these people flooding in. Like, you know, people were sending in profiles from like, you know, Alabama and from, you know, there's like a currently serving Bishop and there's this woman who's in her stake relief society presidency and all these people start sending them in. And we had not anticipated that because how could you anticipate it? No one had talked about it. You know, Margaret Toscano, who's one of um, the women who had been excommunicated for talking about women in the priesthood and heavenly mother uh, in the nineties, she said um, before ordering women, essentially there was a handful, like less than five people who would publicly advocate for uh, female ordination. Mm-hmm. So there was really no way to know <laughs> that, the, that everyone was ready for this. As it got, as it got big and, the, and, and the, noise, uh, the noise of it was loud and everybody knew about it, mm-hmm. and by, by, certainly by the next year, mm-hmm. uh, everybody knew about it. Where, where did you find... I mean, I know you found opposition from men in the church mm-hmm. leaders but yep. but i would i would bet that there are were plenty of women maybe even more women who are 
not receptive to this idea? Um, well, or I'm f- eating. F- Sorry, oh, this that's okay. <laughs> it's the Let's Go Eat show. You or or, or we or, are actually eating. Yeah, or um, afraid of the idea and yep. say no, 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 no. You can't. You can't do this. Well, any system of oppression uh, is perpetrated by many people, not just the oppressor. Um, there are different levels. So, if you read Paulo Freire, um, he's a Brazilian. Um, a public intellectual and wrote a book um, called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. If you read The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, he outlines it and he calls, um, you know, people who slightly benefit from the system or are so invested in the system that even though it doesn't benefit them, they want to per- uh, perpetuate the system. They're called sub-oppressors. So people who like, you know, they are also part of the oppressed, um, but they lash out not at the oppressor, you know, upwardly, they lash out laterally at other people who are also being oppressed and trying to change the system for many reasons. One of them is, you know, women don't want to accept the fact that they've made decisions based on a flawed system that that discriminates against them. I mean, what, what, it, what he's talking about, too, is that why they were always able to find uh, Jews in concentration camps who would be willing to run roughshod over the other people in the concentration camp for the Nazis because they would benefit from it in, in some way. And he, But he, does he talk about even, isn't it the fact that even sometimes the very, the very most oppressed mm-hmm. in these systems, whatever they are, mm-hmm. uh, they become part of the problem as oh, well. Absolutely. They, be, they, and, it's, and to be clear, it's not the person's fault. It's not that they're, no. they, it, it's designed in the system to uh, infiltrate everyone's uh, paradigm so that they think what they're doing is benefiting them, even though it's clearly not. So it, it really, the system brainwashes you into acting against your own best interest. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's called internalized patriarchy. A lot of women uh, suffer from this condition. And so, uh, yeah, you think, okay, well, uh, in Mormondom, what it, it manifests itself in many ways, but one of the ways is, well, I don't want more work. I'm already super busy, so I don't want more work. Or, you know, I think men just need a special um, pull to get them to come to church. So they need this special job, whereas we don't need this special job. Um, so or, I'm, or I'm plenty, believe me, I'm plenty influential right. behind the scenes. Uh-huh. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, mm-hmm. um, which is absurd. Um, and so... On many levels, um, when you think about it. It's absurd for so many reasons, yeah. including but not limited to men can also rock a cradle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I think that... Uh, but these these little excuses that you give yourself for participating and perpetuating an institution that discriminates against you and people like you um, is universal. I mean, that's every system of oppression has yeah. that. And so that's very, very present in Mormonism. Women are often our most uh, virulent critics. Um, and I think for lots of reasons, you know, it was hard for me when I started ordaining women. I was 34. I had served a mission for the church. I went to Brigham Young University. I got married in the temple. I had made a lot of life choices based on my participation in Mormonism. So it was very hard for me to look myself in the mirror and say, I have actively recruited people to participate in an institution that fundamentally discriminates against me and people like me. Did you you find, uh, and maybe even you still find, uh, uh, these things within you, 
that you, you say, wait, wait a minute. I just did something. I behaved in a way that uh, was directly be- result of me being a- oppressed by the patriarchy. <laughs> I just did it. I just did it. Yeah. Even even today. Yeah, that happens like literally every day. I. I mean, the way that you're socialized as a Mormon woman is to be totally deferential, to sacrifice for other people, to put other people's needs before your own needs, to never voice your concerns, to always apologize for yourself, to be very, very polite. And so those types of socializations, even though I was raised by converts, I was raised Mormon. um, And I went to the young women's lessons and I went to girls camp and I did all the things. And so I definitely every day, like I, I can think of a million examples. One tiny example is if I order something um and i get something that i don't i didn't want or it doesn't taste good restaurant or food restaurant yeah. food whatever it is mm-hmm. i won't send it back because i feel like oh i have to confront them and i have to say i didn't like it and, da, 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 and it'll make them feel bad mm-hmm. um so i just eat it or if i i notice the way that i drive um i'm always looking in the rear view mirror i'm like oh is that is this annoying the person behind me like are, am i gonna have to I, did i signal early enough you know da, 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 da. um and so like other people just look forward and don't care about the people behind yeah. them by the other people i mean men um <laughs> and so because uh, we're socialized in very different ways and so i'm socialized to be like oh sorry you know oh if, and if we're having a board meeting this doesn't happen in planned parenthood because it's almost all women um but, you know, I, I say, oh, I, you know, oh, I, you know what? I just, I disagree on that. I wanted to, mm, I just, you still do that. I apologize. I want to interject. Um, you you know. still do that? Oh yeah, totally. Really? Yep. All the time. Oh, there's a, there's a brilliant, uh, Amy Schumer, uh, sketch she did. I think this season on her show where it's a, She's a it's genius. a boardroom of, of women up on a stage trying to do a, some kind of panel, you know. uh, discussion about something. And, and you have no idea what they're discussing because every time one woman starts to make a point, the other one will cut off. Uh, 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 excuse me. Pardon me. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, yeah. but I, but I feel like that. Um, and then the other one will say, excuse me. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Just like get yep. out of the whole. Oh, and that, and that was actually one of the beautiful things about ordained women. It was the first time that I had worked with all women and a few male allies, but primarily women, uh, Mormon women, where we were in charge. Like we were in charge of the organization. We were in charge of the finances. We were in charge of the decisions. We like, we often really strongly disagreed with each other, but we would clash. We would, you know, disagree. We would fight things out sometimes for hours. Um, those board meetings were painful um at times but in the end we came up with like a product we were really proud of and we were empowered through the process but those meetings were some of the most instructive to me because it was the first time that i had worked with women all women in that way it surprises me though to hear you say that that you still do that because, oh no yeah because you seem as we sit here and talk you know you look <laughs> me right in the eye and you uh you know and we talk and and it and it doesn't seem that you're that way at all. Um, it's funny because that is also many people's perception of me that I'm just like bold and brash and like I say what I want and I do what I want and da 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 But they don't realize the internal struggle it is for me to realize those things. So like I recently got divorced, for example, <clears throat> and people are like, oh, you just do whatever you want. You follow your dreams. Like da 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 you, you let your authenticity live. I'm like, oh my God, like if they only knew the internal struggle and the hours of agony and, you know, agonizing over to every decision and trying, trying to like, you know, boost myself up. Like I started recently at Planned Parenthood and I hate negotiating. 
Like it's something that women are just not taught, like salary negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just supposed to do things for the love of it, and like you know, never work. That's why the wage gap. Part one of the reasons why the wage gap is so. You should, uh, you should stark. be surprised and grateful that you get paid at all. Yes, <laughs> yes, we're just we should be grateful that we get to put our law degrees to use. And so uh, I said to my supervisor, who I was quote unquote negotiating with. I was like, you know what? This is super hard for me. I just have to say to you that I'm almost like dying of awkwardness right now to the point where I might not even do it. <laughs> but I like believe in feminism and I believe like if I can't negotiate for my salary, like who the fuck can, you know, like it's just yeah. not, it's so hard. Um, and so I explicitly said like, I'm doing this in the name of feminism. Mm-hmm. You should pay me more. <laughs> yeah, you know now that's awesome. You know, that's a now, great argument. What's the what's your boss at Planned Parenthood going to respond to it? That well, they obviously in, invest in women. Yeah, in, the um, name of, in the name of women, and we're going to give you twice what. We- <laughs> um, and they have salary. They have you know fundraising constraints and all of the other things that other organizations and nonprofits have. But I felt like just just to do it you know like i don't even in the end i'm like dude i don't even care if i make more money i just feel like i need to make the argument to like so that we can all make the argument so that eventually the wage gap can narrow um and so but it's hard it's so hard when you've been socialized like again and again and again and like everything that you've learned every way that you've learned to speak and act and be deferential and you've been told that men are your you've not only been told your entire experience is that men are your superiors and so in every context like a man if if a 12 year old boy is in a room he has more authority than you no matter how old you are, in the particularly in the in the in the LDS church, yeah, it's, but that the, extends to everything. Like yeah. Mormon men think they have power over women in every context, not just at church. Um, and so, when that's the environment that you've been grown, when you've grown up in, and and that you know that's not exclusive to Mormons. The, the wage gap does not only cover Mormons, um, although it is exaggerated in our state uh, because of the patriarchy of the Mormon Church and the culture here, but. The wage gap exists everywhere. Patriarchy exists sure. everywhere. And this is not just me. It's I think the Mormon women are socialized in a particular way to be extremely deferential and extremely polite. And the fact and that's why I think part of the reason ordained women was so earth shattering for people, even though like literally what we did was like wait in the line politely mm-hmm. to get into a meeting we weren't permitted to attend and when we were told to go away, we left. <laughs> That's really what it amounted to. That was Mm -hmm. exactly what it was. And we were dressed in church dress and we didn't scream and we didn't break any rules. But the fact that we said no, like we disagree and we want to be led into this meeting was revolutionary. Uh, so I just want to – the word fuck just came out of your mouth. Apologize no, it's, no, yeah. it's, no, it's absolutely fine. But it, it seemed to happen uh, uh, absolutely easily and spontaneously. <laughs> and it made me wonder, where does that come from? Um, well, profanity uh, sometimes is the only way to express your feelings. Um, and I think I've always kind of – you know how Mormons have these little vices where mm. it's like you eat too much ice cream. Oh, you or are like, a swearing Mormon. <laughs> Whatever you like, you, or you drink, you eat coffee flavored ice cream, yeah, um, or whatever it is. Or the joke was, you know, why why should you always take more than one Mormon fishing with you? Because if you just take one, he'll drink all your beer, right? You know. <laughs> um, so I was like, pretty. I don't know. I had my on and off seasons with swearing. 
Um, and my mother always says that profanity is unbecoming, so I hope she's not listening. Yeah. Um, but, and that's like, it's funny cause you, there are things when you leave Mormonism, like, what do I give up? What do I keep? You know, but you have to reexamine basically everything. Um, so I guess one of those things I gave up was not swearing. How did it, uh, uh, how did it, so you, and I think we know the basic story of your excommunication. People mm-hmm. who are probably listening to this uh, are listening because they know who you are. Mm-hmm. They know that you, you're, you're Virginia Ward. Mm-hmm. Um, you were here, I think, when they sent you the mm-hmm. letter, right? Yep. Of, uh, email. Yeah, an email and said, that's mm-hmm. it, you're out. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, we had the meeting while you were gone. Mm-hmm. You don't get a chance to, which must gall you as an attorney. You don't get. Uh, a, I submitted a written defense. Mm. So. so you so you knew they were going to do it while you weren't there. Yes, they held the trial in absentia, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, said you're out. Uh, was it, was that a moment of relief or no. sorrow? No, or? it was uh, uh, abject sorrow combined with extreme rage you were really pissed i was angry and sad yep and what is it were you expect i mean were you expecting that result because it was no. pretty public for a while like mm-hmm. what you know okay good what are they gonna do it is a thing and, what are they gonna do and you and john delin were there was kind of news stories mm-hmm. at the same time it was a, like people knew like yeah i'm like nowhere near mormon and i knew, followed your stories in mm-hmm. the news and, uh but but you expected it not uh, I think I gave them, like, to the end, the benefit of the doubt. I thought, and I knew these men. Mm-hmm. Like, the people who excommunicated me, I went to that ward. I saw them every Sunday. Like, the bishop brought me strawberries the week before I left and said, have fun in Africa. Um, and so I knew these people. And I think it's very hard to not trust people. You know, it's mm-hmm. hard to think, okay this institution that I've dedicated my life to that I've paid 10% of my income to my entire life that I've until I started paying it to Planned Parenthood. But, um, that's another story. <laughs> well, it's good. You're tithing somewhere. <laughs> um, you know, all these different things. Like I'd given so much to this institution and trusted the institution and trusted these people that I knew in person. And so it's very hard not to think, okay, they're going to do the right thing. I remember the night before my excommunication, we had a vigil uh, and Janice Allred, who was also one of the September 6th, who was excommunicated um, in the 90s for, um, you know, writing about things. Mm-hmm. She, she particularly wrote about um, sexual abuse, childhood sexual abuse in the Mormon church, um, which is an extremely in- important topic. And so she came up to me. She was holding a sign. She was the only one that made a poster, and she made a sign, and it said, um, we asked for bread, and they gave us stones. We asked to administer the bread, and they stoned us. Um, and so I went up to her, and I wow. said, yeah, yeah. yeah shit. She's, not, she's <laughs> not messing around. Um, no. And so I went up to Janice, and I said, you know, I think maybe they'll do the right thing in my case, blah, blah, blah. The Internet exists, et cetera. Um, and she said, she literally patted me on the head and said, I thought that too. <laughs> no. So how is it? Uh, how is it uh, continue to impact your life? I think, in a way, Mormonism gave me a gift, which is a platform to talk about women's equality, a platform to speak out against uh, oppression and gender injustice. Uh, but it also freed me. I'm a very loyal person, um, and I'm not sure that I would have left the church had they not 
made that decision for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think they set me free. Was it, you know, I can't presume to be, to know what's in their minds, but I wonder if it could be, you know, you're better off. You're better off without us. Um, I highly doubt that's what they think. Probably. Um, they think they kicked me out of heaven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're like, oh, okay, well, we three dudes at this table get to decide whether or not this person goes to heaven. Oh, um, I guess not. Let's fill out the paperwork. Um, and so, uh, in their minds, they kicked me out of heaven. Obviously I don't believe that rubbish. Um, but I think that helped me see very clearly the violence of the institution, uh, what, what willing, what lengths they're willing to go, um, to protect the power structure, um, and their own, you know, being comfortable. So are you without religion now? Yes. I would call myself, um, someone the other day said, um, apatheistic, Say it again. Apatheistic. Apatheistic. Like atheist is too much work. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're committed to like proving that God doesn't exist. Whereas mm-hmm. I'm just like, meh, I'd rather like care about women's reproductive rights and like my neighbor down the street who doesn't have food than like worrying about whether or not God well, exists. Well, I mean, do you, do you think God exists? I just don't really care. Like, I don't think it's relevant. Um, I don't think it's relevant to my lived experience. I don't think, um, you know, if God exists, he's doing a pretty terrible job. Um, and people who follow him or her are also doing a pretty terrible job, um, living out those teachings. So I'd rather see that happen, um, than worry about something that Oliver Cowdery said in like 1845. Yeah. Well, well. Or whatever. Like, I don't care. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of Mormon men who leave the church get like really obsessed with like history and the historicity of the Book of Mormon and proving that like, mm-hmm. you know, this kind of metal didn't exist at the time and like blah, 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 DNA evidence. And yeah. Joseph Smith said this. And I'm like, I don't care. Like women just can't care about that kind of thing. I mean, some do, obviously. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, our lived experience is so atrocious that it doesn't actually matter. Those kinds of concerns never mattered to me because my lived experience was so uh, uh, defeating. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I can't I can't certainly can't disagree with anything that you just said. <laughs> it's 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 too it is a lot of work to try to be an atheist and and be so hard. We had the I forget his name, had him on our show, the the guy uh, who Silverman John, David David Silverman it heads up the the uh, atheist church in the atheist movement in uh, America mm-hmm. took over for Madeline Murray O'Hare. And he, he he was a very pleasant guy to talk to until the microphone went on. And then he was this strident, angry atheist that, you know, and, and then the mic would go off. And, and I even said to him, da- David, don't you? No, I said it to him on the air. David, don't you realize that you're 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 driving people away from the atheist movement because you're so angry and strident about trying to get everybody to believe that there's no God. Well, and that's the stereotype of post-Mormons, too. Like, oh, they're just angry. And that's what um, Orthodox Mormons really want to believe. Um, So I can understand why it's very annoying and painful for post-Mormons to be labeled as angry. um, Because they have a lot to very, very righteously and justifiably be angry about. Um, um, A million things, obviously. Hmm. Um, or if it's not obviously you should Google like CES letter or something, but, (laughs) um, 
I, so I think anger is very justified and very useful. Um, I don't think anger, that, that's another thing in Mormonism. Like you're not supposed to be angry. Like confrontation specifically yeah. is of the devil. Um, and so, you know, people will just like paint. It's, it's also featured in the Book of Mormon musical where they just say, oh, you just turn it off, you know, turn it off like a light switch. You're just not angry anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not sad or you're not scared or you're not all these other things that are bad. Um, so I think anger, to be clear, I think anger is a very legitimate emotion, particularly when it comes to leaving Mormonism. However, I just don't, I don't. I feel like my experience is very unique in that a lot of people, you know, leaving any sort of institutionalized religion, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid, like, very slowly, like, one hair at a time, Mm. years and years of agony, Mm. like, all these different things. And for me, it was like, one day I was in, rip off the Band-Aid, next day I'm out. (laughs) Um, And so that's another way that the church gave me a gift. It's like, oh, okay, well. Move on. Move on. Um And so I saw this, it was a very painful moment where something very violent happened directly to me. And it was a painful experience for everyone in the movement and lots of people in the church because the church displayed itself to be what it is, which is a very misogynistic and violent institution. And we've seen that in many different ways, including the policy against children of gay parents, etc. Um, so the church is more and more acting with this like very alarming candor where they tell people exactly who they are um, and people who participate in the institution don't want to believe it. Um, but they're saying like, nope, this is who we are. We hate gay people. Let's be clear. Um, We fundamentally disagree that women are equal. We're being clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think people just have to take them at their word. Um, But that, for some reason, doesn't... I don't know. It's funny because I'm concerned with the Mormon community. I'm just not tied to the the outcome. And the leaders of the Mormon church don't control my happiness. Well, and and is is that why you then... uh ordain women uh you you pretty much left i mean mm-hmm. it, i mean it's it's hard for you anymore to be um to be invested in something yeah that you're that said get out it's hard for it's actually a very um cyclical organization for many reasons but mm-hmm. a lot of women who join the movement then realize oh i just don't want to be involved with mormonism at all Um, so there are some who stay and who invest and I think it's valuable and I think the institution should change for a lot of reasons because Mm -hmm. they have women or they have children and nieces and other girls who are going to grow up in Mormonism and do the things, the same thing that I do, which like at 36 years old, I'm still trying to like overcome being assertive in a, in a board meeting, you know, or whatever, like that's dangerous Mm -hmm. and problematic, but, uh, it's sometimes it's just not worth it. Like, if yeah. women were to be ordained today in the Mormon church, I would not go you back. You wouldn't go back. No. Yeah, no that's, way. That's what, what I was just going to ask you. No way. And so, and that's the same, that same thing is true of a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Um, and so, yeah, it's hard to invest time and energy into an institution that has revealed itself to be fundamentally misogynistic and an institution which you won't participate yeah. in. In the I, future, I, I sense you know you say you're 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 uh, apathy apathyistic. <laughs> you, you have apathy. Uh, I think there's still a pretty good core of anger in there. Oh yeah, sure, mm, righteous yeah. anger. Yeah, but I'm apathetic about whether or not God exists. Yeah, uh, I'm not so, apathetic about whether or not the Mormon Church should fundamentally reform. Gotcha. 
its entire institution to be more inclusive of women, gay people, people of color, etc. Let's talk uh, quickly about your move to uh, Planned Parenthood. Uh, uh, great, I get. I, I sense when I uh, met you here, and you said oh, I was Planned Parenthood. And I could just hear in your voice that you were thrilled with this. Uh, Planned Parenthood is the greatest. Um, what do you do for them? So I am their strategic advocacy and policy council. I'm a lawyer um, and I do a lot of policy work. I create community conversations. The other day, someone described me as a lawyer slash party planner, um, which I really love um, and co- like encapsulates the best parts of my personality. It's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a um, combo you don't get a lot. That's good. Yeah. That's yeah. A fun- yeah, you know, seeking equality under the law and having a good time. Mm. Um, and so I think uh, Planned Parenthood, you know, all these different things I've done. You know, I I worked for the RFK Center doing human rights work. I went to Kenya and I worked um, for a place called Legal Action Worldwide doing specific accountability for sexual violence work in Somalia. I did all these different things, but it's really been to empower women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think although sometimes people are like, wait, you're at Planned Parenthood now? What's going on? Um, I think it's the most one of the most concrete ways that we can empower women to control their bodies and their lives. Um, and I also think um, sexuality and repression of women's bodies and sexuality has a lot to do with um, the fundamental exclusion of women in the Mormon church, uh, stemming back to polygamy and our polygamous roots and the control of who could marry whom and uh, who could have babies, etc. And so I think it's all really rooted in... Uh, oppressing women and this is a way that we can free ourselves and our bodies and so i just i love planned parenthood like the work they do is so directly related to liberating Mm -hmm. um women and men in this country we also serve men Uh, we have vasectomies Mm -hmm. those are very popular service in utah we have a waiting list for vasectomies uh, I know. I had to go to a private clinic to get mine because yeah. it was too big of a waiting Yeah, it's, it's a popular. They're cheaper mm-hmm. at our clinics. They are. Um, and so, but vasectomies are a great way, um, very, very effective form of mm-hmm. birth control. Um, we also do IUDs, which are long-acting, reversible contraceptive. I have an IUD. I have a copper IUD. Um, an IUD lasts for 10 years. You never have to take it out unless you want to become pregnant. So... Um, I feel like a lot of it's, it's just so interesting how the very, very, how Planned Parenthood combines, you know, the adage, the personal is political, like getting an IUD is very tied to like a political decision and movement in our country. Well, you, you have the when when you have control over, you know, your reproductive system and, mm-hmm. and you know, say I, then then that gives you then the leave to have control over other things well and it's so connected to i mean we could talk about this for like five more hours but this isn't mormon stories so um we um when you have not only control over whether or not you get pregnant or you carry a child to term but you have a language to control your sexuality and talk about your sexuality and be assertive in your sexuality and talk about consent and talk about all these other things. When you get to control what happens with your body, and this is another thing, when you're, when you're raised to be very deferential, when you're raised um, to, in a very sexual re- sexually repressive culture, um, like finding fulfillment through sex is, is difficult, to say the least. And a lot of people who leave Mormonism have a really hard time um, leaving that behind. Um, and so that's part of my mission too. I want people, um, you know, 
particularly post-Mormons, to know um, how to use contraception. How, what, what is consent? What does it mean to consent to a sexual encounter? How do you like find a fulfilling sex life? How do you? We really need to teach these things in school. Oh, I mean, hey, there's an idea. Healthy, healthy sexuality <laughs> and and you know respectful, healthy sexuality really needs to be taught because the way we all learned it was, you know. Dirty and uh, mm-hmm. down and mm-hmm. uh, behind the scenes, and very few of us learned it through, through any frank discussion with anyone. Well, and uh, you know, the internet exists now, um, and so kids are able to access a lot of information about mm-hmm. sex. But again, it's like you said, it's not it's not peer reviewed. It's not uh, medically accurate. It's not in, in a larger conversation about how to have healthy relationships. Um, and so it needs to be taught in the schools for a lot of reasons. But one of those is um, to have a healthy society, everyone has to be on the same page about consent, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, particularly when it comes to consenting to sexual um, activity. And so uh, that's just like a baseline. We have to have that. And the reason that domestic violence and sexual assault and all these different things are so high in Utah is because that like cultural fluency is not there. Yeah. Um, I think we've covered a we covered a <laughs> lot of ground here, yep. and it's really nice to talk to you. Thank you. Um, I um, uh, I had sort of watched you from afar and thought, well, that's an interesting woman. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and as it turns out, it's true. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you. Uh, if people are um, interested in pursuing um, that part of the ordain women they can still mm-hmm. go to that mm-hmm. website mm-hmm. ordainwomen.org absolutely uh and then planned parenthood uh mm-hmm. if people are interested in finding out more about that and supporting planned parenthood what should they do um the website for utah is ppacutah.org p-p-a-c dot uh, utah.org uh you can go there you can find out all the amazing things that we're doing um and kind of the initiatives we're engaging in leading up to the election uh in november and beyond and i think like you said comprehensive sex ed access to contraception all these things are really getting going in Mm -hmm. utah um and i think we have a bright um future things are changing slowly I think people are accepting like um, negative conservative rhetoric less and less. I think millennials are rising up um, in positions of power and as a larger percentage of the electorate and are saying, wait a minute. What? Mm-hmm. That's all seen. Um, we've been fed a pack of lies. Wait a minute. Sex isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, like forcing people to carry pregnancies they don't want and getting STIs and leaving them untreated. That's mm-hmm. what's bad. Um, and so I think a lot of people are changing their minds and a lot of people with outdated uh, damaging rhetoric are dying. Yeah, I mean, I, did, I said slowly, but it seems... It does seem that things have accelerated uh, within the last even five or ten years. Completely agree. Things have really accelerated in terms of, uh, I don't want to even call it a liberal culture. It's a more accepting. Yeah, social justice. Yeah. I think, um, you know, when you you think, because sometimes it's very easy to get bogged down, especially in Utah politics, and think, oh, you know, this Mm. is a bleak picture. Never going to (laughs) change. A bleak, bleak picture. Um, but things can change so rapidly. Um, Utah used to be a socialist state, like not mm-hmm. that long ago. 
like we had the highest percentages of socialist candidates. We had almost exclusively Democrats before the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, so things can change in less than a generation, um, and they can, they can change for the better. And so and and just think about like the LGBTQIA movement. Yeah. Like now every gay person can get married. I'm officiating in a gay wedding on Saturday, this coming Saturday. As a, as an attorney, you're uh, able got, to do that. I got internet ordained. Oh, you did. Yes. <laughs> um, you can get internet internet. <laughs> ordained. Mm-hmm. I probably shouldn't say this because now the Utah state legislators are going to try to change the policy, but it's actually pretty easy to officiate in a wedding in Utah. Mm-hmm. You just have to be ordained by any institution and then you can sign the marriage certificate. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a great pleasure to talk to you and meet you and uh, um, I, I think we should do it again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Kate Kelly uh, is uh, now with Planned Parenthood. You know the story. You've heard the story. Uh, so that's it. Uh, you, you want to finish your sandwich? <laughs> she, she, I'll by finish. the way, she eats uh, her French fries with mustard. I do mustard. It is delicious. Way to there's, bury the lead. Yeah, there's a great, there's a great thing of fry sauce on her plate, but no, she didn't even touch the fry sauce. Went right for the mustard. All right, I'm that's sorry. a whole other episode. I'm now, sorry, Kate. Utahns. You, yeah. Fry sauce is gross. All right. Well, all right. Do you do you drink now that you've left the church? Um, I am a terrible drinker, but yes, I mean I will drink alcohol, but. That's another thing that you just have not developed the taste for. Yeah. And also when you're 36, you're like, meh, not really worth it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's now we're done with it. It's, it's expensive. It's a skill yeah. you have to develop. Gives young. you a headache. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Kate Kelly. Thank you to uh, our friends here at 50 West uh, for uh, su- uh, supplying uh, some nice food and mm-hmm. some place to sit. Thanks, Dylan, for producing the show. Mm-hmm. I'm Bill Allred. And uh, remember... Remember to like us on all of your social media stuff. And then, remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double.